This is Inside the Writer's Head with Emma Carlson Byrne, the Library Foundation of Cincinnati and Hamilton County's 2018 Writer-in-Residence. The Library Foundation's Writer-in-Residence program promotes writing, literacy, and creativity while furthering the library's mission of connecting people with the world of ideas and information. Here now is Emma Carlson Byrne. Hello all, I'm Emma Carlson Byrne, the library's writer-in-residence, and this is my first time hosting Inside the Writer's Head. I'm really looking forward to a year of talking with other writers, editors, and readers, and I hope you're looking forward to listening. So let's get started. My guest this month is celebrated children's book author Linda Leopold Strauss. Linda is the writer of many beautiful picture books, as well as middle grade fiction and nonfiction. She is published by Scholastic, Houghton Mifflin, Holiday House, and Carbon Publishing, among others. And she's the winner of Best Books Award from USA Books for her nonfiction book, Drop Everything and Write. And she was a nominee for the Mark Twain Award from the state of Missouri for her middle grade novel, The Alexandra Ingredient. And I have to confess, I have a personal connection to Linda, which is why it is hard for me to call her Linda. I'm used to calling her Nina, which is her nickname or her alias, because she's a friend of my family's and also she is my neighbor in Wyoming where we both live. So I'm going to try hard to call you Linda, Nina, but it's going to be a challenge. So let's get started with the interesting stuff. First of all, Linda, can you give us a little background on how you started writing? Did you set out to be a writer? What was the first moment where you thought, hey, I can do this? I thought when I was a child that I might want to be a writer. I wrote mostly poetry, uh, poetry about the seasons, uh, poetry asking my parents if we could go to the movies, poetry um, that I used to entertain myself during Latin class, uh, during math class. But when I got to college, I became, I started as an English major, and then I turned to U.S. history, and then ultimately I got a, an advanced degree in Latin American history. But there was no topic in Latin American history I wanted to learn about enough to get a Ph.D., so I stopped went to work, got married, had children, and one day when my kids were really very little, I was at a party with um, some friends of my in-laws, and one of them asked me what Nancy and Katie were doing, and I said, well, Katie had just turned over, and Nancy was getting really verbal, and she said, write it all down, because if you don't write it down, you'll forget it. So I took that seriously, and I went home, and I had a little booklet that uh, I guess it was a calendar book that our insurance people had given us and I started writing it down and then I kept on writing and then I didn't have enough room in each little square for the date so I bought myself a notebook and that became a writer's journal and I was reading lots of books to my kids and I thought uh, maybe I could do this so that's sort of where it started. Uh, well, I can certainly uh, relate to that, um, Linda, since I also have small children and read many wonderful children's books aloud and sort of note them. Right now we are reading, uh, we're really enjoying The Circus Ship by Chris Van Dusen, um, who is just such a marvelous 
writer and illustrator. It's by Candlewick Press, which I've mm-hmm. noticed does just so many neat books. Anyways, he's a master of rhyme. As you know, as a picture book writer, rhyme is really a dangerous area for writers. Dangerous because editors say they don't like it. But um, if you can do it well enough, uh, they do like it. And kids love it. Exactly. That's always been my feeling is that uh, it, it's the reason I, I, my personal take on why editors say they don't like it is that so many people attempt it and can't do it well. But like a lot of things in writing and publishing, if you do it brilliantly, you can sort of do anything you want. Um, I don't know if your kids ever read this series. Um, it's a whole series of vehicle books by Tony Mitten and Ant Parker. It's a British series. No, I think you're a generation <laughs> ahead of me. <laughs> well, they are all, it's a whole series of little picture books about um, uh, mice and like other small animals. And there's uh, like terrific trains and like amazing airplanes. You're getting the, the sense and like, you know, fantastic forklifts. And uh, they are all written in rhyme, and they are all about transportation, and they are brilliantly rhymed. And um, anyways, I just always admire how these uh, the uh, writers can, you know, rhyme things like, you know, railroad gate, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's fun. It's it's To me, it's like the lyrics in the old uh, Cole Porter songs, where you have to really come up with a rhyme that's unexpected, right. but good. That's right. My friend, um, my friend, my cousin recently told me that her husband came up with a rhyme that stayed in my head forever, which was he managed to rhyme um, knickerbocker and liquor locker. And there you go. Brilliant. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, Patrick. So, um, Linda, you are primarily a picture book writer and your books are just beautiful. We own a personal autographed copy of Preschool Day Hooray, which is one of my favorite of your books. And it has been read so many times that it is falling apart. It's sticky. I can hardly detach some of the pages because it has been so well loved. Um, and I have to tell you that reading that book, it was you autographed it to Henry. That's my oldest son, who is nine. It was read by Henry many times. It was read by the next son, Leo, many times, all when they started to go to preschool. And now my third son is getting ready to go to preschool next year. And we have started to read it to him. Well, it sounds like you need another copy. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Although this one has so much history, literally quite literally stuck to his pages. I've also given Preschool Day Hooray to other children who are starting preschool as sort of like a little pre-preschool gift. Yeah, well, that was some of my intention when I when I wrote it, that it was uh, something to prepare kids for preschool as, an, as a joyful experience. It, it really is a joyful book. And um, I was hoping that you would talk to us a little bit about picture book writing in particular. I think a lot of writers start out um, with their eye on picture books. Um, picture books can be notoriously difficult to write well. Um, and I was hoping you could talk a little bit first about what picture book writers have to consider that other writers um, who write for children or adults do not. And then after that, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about the illustration process of working with an illustrator. Um, but talk to us a little bit about your part of picture books first. Okay, well, um, I think picture books are the hardest form to write. Um, I started out with a novel, but then I wrote a novel which didn't sell, by the way, but at least not right away. There's a story in that, too. <laughs> save that. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> I'll save that Yeah, one. we'll definitely get there. Um, but I started writing what I thought were picture books, and they did not sell. And 
ultimately, I submitted them as magazine stories, and they sold as magazine stories. And there's a difference, which I had to learn, and in fact, I'm still learning. Um, Picture books, for one thing, there is a pretty specific format, a 32-page format, which has to do with the way the books are constructed. So you have to keep your manuscript within that structure. That's rule one. And you can't say, well, uh, you know, my book is so good. It's not going to work because it can't work because it has to do with the structure. So in addition to that, there is um, you do not use a lot of description because you have to leave room for the illustrator. You do not use a lot of words because children get bored or restless when there are a lot of words. It used to be 1,500 words was about the limit. Uh, now it's about 1,000 words. Kids are getting less interested in writing what we used to call picture storybooks, which are different from picture books. Right. Uh, story Picture storybooks are stories that are illustrated. Picture books are books with a certain picture book construction. Um, what else? Uh, you don't want to overtly teach anything. You probably, when you're starting out, don't want to use rhyme, as we said before. Um, you don't want to be cutesy um, because you don't want to talk down to children. In many ways, um, I think of picture books sometimes like chapter books, and because you do have to think about page turns, and page turns are kind of the way chapters end. So each page turn is kind of like a chapter in a larger book. And then at the end, and so you have to have a, a structure which builds up a story arc. Um, and at the end, you have to have what I call the ah uh, moment when you shut the book down and the kid is satisfied. So, I mean, there's more, but I think that probably does it to start with. And well, the, the illustrations? Yes. Well, and that's a lot. And um, before we get into illustrations, I'm, I'm listening with fascination, Linda, because um, I have to confess that I am trying to write a little picture book for the very first time after writing for many years. And so I am like um, drinking up all of your words. Um, and it has been much harder than I expected. It's it's very difficult. It's f- far easier to write, um, in my experience, to write for older kids. You just have the luxury of words. It's, yeah, it's like I'm, writing poetry. I'm revising one right now. And every morning or evening or whenever I get a chance, I go up and I change four words. And because I've changed those four words, I have to change other words because it either destroys the balance or I repeat a word. And you just have to keep... You have to keep working at it. It's not something you can dash off, unless you're brilliant, that you can dash off <laughs> well, in, that case. in a minute. <laughs> uh, and tell us a little bit, before we talk about illustration, tell us a little bit about conceiving of the topic for picture books as opposed to your books for older children. How is that different or the same? Well, my picture books come from all different places. Um, uh, Preschool Day Hooray... <laughs> which you mentioned, started with a uh, kind of barbecue sauce called Sticky Fingers. I'm which familiar. Is, <laughs> which is the first two, are the first two words in the book. Um, and I was walking along trying to think of things that rhymed with sticky fingers, tricky, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And actually, at one point, um, 
I was trying to remember all these things until I got home. And a friend of mine stopped and said, want to take a walk with me? And I said, I can't unless I stop by my house and write some things down first, because <laughs> I was afraid I would forget it. But anyway, it was sort of a random group of rhymy, interesting combinations. And then I found that I could put them into the order of a school day. Actually, I put them in the order of a full day. And That's an right. editor suggested that I put it, that I condense it to a school day. So that was Sticky Fingers. Um, some come from my childhood. Um, some come from my husband's family history. Uh, one of them, which is called uh, Best Friends Pretend, has a uh, story you probably wouldn't believe, but it started as Hooray for Girls. Um, no, actually, it started as Hooray for Friends, and then the editor wanted me to focus on girls. And then I balked a little bit, um, and I turned it into a Girls Can Do Anything book. And then they said, well, why don't you write a book about two little girls who are getting together and talking about careers? And I thought, <laughs> got to be kidding. <laughs> uh, they're already asleep. <laughs> so I figured, well, I wasn't going to give up this opportunity. They were still interested in the book. So I turned it into two little girls who were imagining uh, careers for themselves like mermaids and princesses yes. and and astronauts. Um, so does that does that answer the question? Absolutely. 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 So talk to us a little bit about illustration. Um, I think for writers who are starting out with picture books or who are envisioning picture books, illustration sometimes gets in the way. Um, it, you know, I think... Um, s- it's confusing sometimes for beginning writers about um, when does the illustrator come in? Uh, what really is the illustrator's role? What does illustration bring to the books? Um, so talk to us about um, your experiences with your illustrators. I noticed that you have many different illustrators. Uh, some writers work pretty much with one illustrator. Um, you have many. So tell us a little bit about your experiences with your various illustrators. Well, the main thing to know is that unless you yourself are an illustrator, choosing an illustrator is considered an editorial function. So once you have sold your book to a company, the editor and probably working with the art editor chooses an illustrator. They have a stable of illustrators that they work with, um, and they will choose one who seems to match up with your manuscript you they they may ask you if you have any ideas that has been done i've suggested them nobody's taken my ideas <laughs> how um, about chris van alsberg they're like he's busy <laughs> yes he's busy <laughs> and that's part of it is that a lot of the well-known illustrators in addition to being too expensive um are backed up um for months and months if not years and if you want your book to come out you don't necessarily want it to come out in five or ten years, which has happened on one occasion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sometimes an editor will send you uh, um, sketches to see, and on a couple of occasions I have pointed out things that were incorrect um, in the sketches. In one case, incorrect in on the cover uh, sketch, 
Sometimes they will ask you to change your text to fit the illustration because they say it's easier to change the text than to change <laughs> I'm sure the illustration. Goes over well. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it is. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but um, it's not all that easy. So, really, what you have to do, and I, I know this is practically impossible, is you can't really describe your character. You can't really describe the setting, but you have to convey it somehow in your words so that the illustrator hopefully will have the same vision as you do. A good picture book is thought to be a melding of two creative minds. So that's the goal. Right. But you do, as the writer, kind of want to control that other (laughs) creative (laughs) mind a little bit. Um, You just don't always get to do it. I've been fortunate in that I've I've really been very happy with the illustrators that they've matched me up with. Um, So far, so good. Well, and as a child uh, reader, the illustrations are tremendously important. Yes. Um, you know, because you read picture books to children, so they are looking at the pictures at the same time they're hearing the words, and they can't really conceive of one without the other. I do remember that as an older reader, when I was reading what you were describing as illustrated storybooks, um, it would annoy me tremendously when the illustrations would not match the writer's descriptions. And children notice everything. Oh, I remember specific times when I would think she was not wearing that. They said her hair was in braids and now her hair is not in braids. <laughs> exactly. And I would just could not believe that the illustrator would not match up with the uh, description. Now, that wouldn't be relevant in picture books. And, and going back to the structure of picture books, um, one thing you have to do is you have to leave room, well, not leave room, you have to provide opportunities for um, many different settings, many different happenings. There has to, you can't have all of it taking place in one place. That's very interesting. Um, And I've occasionally had, I mean, I have one story called No Dogs Is Not Enough, which I wrote as a picture book, which never sold as a picture book, although I think it sold about 17 times as a magazine story or or for um, um, testing services. But when I look back at it now, I see that there was not enough opportunity for different illustrations page to page. I and I think that was the problem. You're having to um, think about the illustrator's job as well. How is he or she going to make the story mm-hmm. visually interesting? Exactly. <clears throat> if you would like your book to sell, which is always a question <laughs> for writers. <laughs> um, Linda, you have had, like many writers who've been writing for many years, you've had a variety of um, genres that you've worked in. Um, you began uh, your writing life with a chapter book, um, which I hope you'll tell us about a little later. Uh, then you wrote picture book manuscripts that you uh, referenced in uh, earlier, which turned out to be mostly children's magazine articles. Um, and then you wrote middle grade fiction and then picture books. Can you talk to us a little bit about this shift in age group and genre? What did you need to change about how you worked, about your process specifically as you shifted from middle grade work to picture books? Oh, boy. (laughs) I realize this is a big question. (laughs) Um, 
unlike many authors and probably unlike um, what is good for an author's career, I've sort of just done what occurred to me to do at a given time. But I started on the uh, um, novels because my magazine stories that actually I thought were picture books would come back to me from editors saying, not strong enough. Um, And I thought, well, if they're not strong enough... I'll just put a bunch of them together, a bunch of my, not not a bunch of those stories, but a bunch of my ideas together. Maybe there's a novel there somewhere. So I took out a whole bunch of middle grade novels, and I actually mapped out the structure of the middle grade novels. And, um, and then I started writing. The first book I wrote, the first book I ever wrote, was uh, self-contained chapters. It was not really structured like a novel. But the next one that I wrote, which was The Alexander Ingredient, was, and that one ultimately sold. So then I went back to picture books. Why? Um, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, at this stage of my life, I like picture books better because the way my life is right now, it's easier to work on a picture book in my head and to carry it around than it is to sit for hours and hours in front of a computer and and go over a novel. But, um, and also I had grandchildren, and so I not only had gone to picture books, but I went back to board books because obviously when they were born, (laughs) they were little, (laughs) and board books were, were what they consumed. So... I'm not sure I've got a pattern that's actually relevant to anybody else, <laughs> but that's the way it was. Well, and it's and it's worked for you. A lot yeah. of people, I think, feel like there is a map to writing, and to some extent there is, but because writing is a creative job, um, it's sometimes messy, mm-hmm. the process that we take, especially if we've been writing for many years. It sometimes goes backward. Sometimes you'll write things after many years and it won't sell. Sometimes you'll write things unexpectedly that sell. Sometimes you'll think, I've, have I wasted six months just on this project I thought was a good idea? And sometimes you haven't. So I feel like it's, it's it would be nice if it was all linear and upwardly projected, but it's it's often not. I got a wonderful letter once from a kid who was probably in fourth grade, and it said, before you came to talk to the school, I thought writing was neat and easy. Now I know it's hard and messy. <laughs> <laughs> what a good lesson you could made to him. <laughs> there you go. <clears throat> that is that is really brilliant, and I feel like I should uh, have us all T-shirts made <laughs> with that on it, um, <laughs> because it is a very messy process. It's important not to be derailed by the by the mess. Um, Linda, your picture books, the Elijah Door, which is one that my family has just loved and has absolutely beautiful woodcut illustrations. Mm. They are woodcuts, is that correct? Yes. Um, And A Different Kind of Passover, which I believe is recent. That's probably the most recent one. That's what I thought. Uh, Deal with Jewish themes and subject matter. Um, So tell us about how your personal cultural background and that of your husband has has influenced your work um, and the selection of your topics. Once again, uh, it's hard to say. 
Um, the Elijah door, well, let me go back. I, I'm not particularly observant right now. Our family, at least my husband and I, are not. But when I was a kid, uh, my parents were, and my family was, and Passover was really one of my favorite holidays. We would go to visit my grandparents. I, we lived in Philadelphia for a while, and we would go to Connecticut to visit them, and my cousins would come, and it was a big deal. And um, so the Elijah door came in Cincinnati as an adult. I was getting ready for Passover. We were going to have a lot of family, and I wasn't sure where we were going to put them. And so I was taking a walk in the neighborhood, and I saw two houses side by side, and I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if you could have uh, a table that extended from one house outside and then into the other house. And that is sort of the structure of the book, why it takes place in a shtetl. <laughs> I have no idea, except that is my family background. And I remember my in my childhood people saying that they came from towns that were sometimes Poland and sometimes Russia. Which is a line from the book. And the first line of the book is... Many Passovers passed in two side-by-side houses in a small village that was sometimes Russia and sometimes Poland. I probably misquoted it, but that's the idea. Um, So then I actually, since nobody ever really told me much about what it was like there, I actually had to do a fair amount of research. But why I put the two things together, I have no idea. A different kind of Passover was a story straight from my childhood where my grandfather... Um, had had a heart attack, and in those days he would have had to stay in the hospital, but he absolutely refused to stay in the hospital for Passover um, because of dietary reasons. And so he insisted on coming home, and he actually led the Seder from his bed, um, reclining as one is supposed to do, but really reclining. And I think that image just stayed in my head because as a kid, I thought it was so neat. But as an adult, I think it's amazing that he was so devoted to his religion that he he was willing to, basically, he was willing to risk his life in order to be there with his family and to, to run the service. So I was thinking about this, and I was thinking that you not only write what you know or what's, you write what you feel. And these stories both came from feelings. And there's one other story, which is from, you mentioned my husband, um, uh, comes from his family background. He had a, um, uh, his great-great-grandfather, I think, was um, embroiderer to Queen Victoria. Ah, yes. And there was a story that I had heard from his family that, this grandfather had, was a tale, was an embroiderer, I guess you would call it, and uh, had a whole bunch of children, and each one of them, they said, took a stitch in Queen Victoria's wedding dress. What a great story. Yeah. Well, as it turned out, it wasn't her wedding dress. I think it was the covering for her coronation throne, which is good, good. good enough. <laughs> but I sort of turned it into a fairy tale because it just struck me as the kind of story that a kid kids would really like. Practically ready-made. Yes. It really yes, just it sort was. of springs off the page. Even hearing you tell it, sitting here as an adult, I'm like, 
eager to hear the details and yeah. hear the ending. And I used actually used his name, um, his real name in the story. And one neat byproduct was that some relatives of my husband's saw it, and they had been doing genealogy, and they contacted us. So we got in touch with a cousin in England who lives in London. And when we went to London once, he showed us the, the place where this embroidery business had been located. Oh, my goodness. That's so interesting. Was, pretty, was it still a shop? No, no. It was, it was a, a bank. Some other kind of building. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Linda, you have had so many successes. But writing is hard, too, as we discussed. And messy. And messy, indeed. So let's do a little high and low. Tell us about your highest moment in writing. That's the fun one. And then tell us about your absolute lowest. I will share my lowest. It was when an editor asked for a total rewrite on a nonfiction book about climate change. She put big red marker slashes across every page, and then she would write things like, Ugh. That was the extent of the comments. And as I rewrote this book, I had to sit and look at the slashes and the comments as I was uh, retyping. And I can tell you that it has a way of grinding you down after a while. I think editorial comments should be in very light pencil with question marks on the end. Absolutely. I have many thoughts about that. Okay. Um, So give us your high and low. Highest, I'm going to give you two versions. The first one is when I sold The Alexander Ingredient, which was the first novel that I sold. Um, Actually, the first children's book that I sold. Um, But mostly it's having kids respond to your books. And my favorite story about that is a friend who, whose daughter loves best friends pretend. And there's a rule in their house, she told me, that each adult only has to read it to that child four times in any <laughs> given day. And if she wants it read again, she has to go find another reader in the house. <laughs> so the adult can remain sane. Exactly. So that's a high, that's definitely a high point. <laughs> Absolutely. It's the greatest compliment is your book is read so many times that the adult just cannot bear to look at it anymore. It the child just is ready for just one more time. Um, low point is probably, um, it has a happy ending, you'll be glad to know, but, um, I was working with an editor on a book and, uh, I worked with it. The editorial people passed on it. They thought it was fine. They asked me to come up with a companion book because they thought the companion book, if I had two, that acquisitions would be happier buying and this is this particular company had a slightly different process from others so they went to the extent of um sending it to i don't know somewhere in southeast asia to get templates made for the illustrations and then they killed the whole thing after about i would say almost two years oh heartbreaking yeah, I mean, I have, I did not submit to that <laughs> company no. again for an entire year and a half. But I just received two days ago a contract 
from another company for that first book. Oh my goodness! And so now I have, and I have another one in my back pocket if it does well. So That's right. This is great revenge. <laughs> definitely, definitely, and it is hard after um, years of work to just see your project killed. Uh, it can happen. It's, yeah, it happened. Actually, happened twice, but. You just keep going. <laughs> That's right. It's right. You, you have to keep going. It's difficult, but you've, one's, one's got to keep going or else give up. So as we're finishing up, I want to ask a very difficult question for any writer. It's pretty much like asking you to uh, pick your favorite child. But if you had to pick your favorite book of your own that you have written, tell us why and uh, give us just a tiny bit of background. Um, I think I would choose A Fairy Called Hillary because, first of all, it was the first book I ever wrote. Um, it was turned down by, I would say, probably 25 different publishing houses. That is amazing. I put it away. I, for one year or maybe two, I had an agent who was an editor who had turned down my work with, um, flattering words and then she became an agent so I submitted it to her I said what can we do with this and she said uh, I think it's really good let's let's work on it so we revised it I did not like what she was suggesting but I thought well I'll give it a try she wanted me among other things to explain the magic and I kept telling her if you explain magic it's not magic that's right and it doubled its size, and it didn't sell. And finally I said, let's go back to the original. Why don't you take a look at the original, which you liked? And she said, why don't you send it to Cricket? Maybe it could be serialized. As I said earlier, it, was, it was a self, had self-contained chapters. And Cricket took it right away, and the first chapter appeared, and I got a call from Holiday House saying, maybe this could be a book. And I went, <laughs> And had yeah. they rejected it earlier? Were they one of the 25 Holiday House? <laughs> yeah, how, they were. They were, actually. Um, but it, I think it was a different editor at that I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I think it was a different editor at that point. Um, in any case, she may not have seen it the first time around. <laughs> or seen it with the right eyes. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it eventually, I mean, it sold. It was translated into Italian. It was translated into French. It became a scholastic um, paperback and the book fairs. And, um, but it was, it was my baby. It was the first one. And I remember reading it, reading the first chapter to my daughter, who was then about five and she offered to go and keep herself busy so I could write some more because she wanted to know what happened next. So I guess that's that's my favorite. There's no higher compliment. <laughs> well, it sounds like that book was really your baby. Yeah, the book I that you so. believed in. Absolutely. That you thought could make it and you kept believing in it and it did. Yes, and um you have to. And it I you know, I didn't explain the magic. I always feel like it's better not to explain the magic or show the monster. So, Linda, tell us what you're working on now. What can we expect next from you? Um, I'm revising a picture book manuscript that I just completed. I just had a really good idea for another picture book, which I'm not going to tell you, but it has to do... Uh, somebody, I was talking to somebody who mentioned something that a child had said, and I thought, ooh, I'm going to work with that. 
Um, some of what I've been doing is taking things out of the drawer, these picture books that didn't sell, and with additional experience trying to figure out what might have been the problem. And um, that's pretty much it. I'm probably slowing down a little bit, a little less ambitious than I was before. But when I get an idea like the one I just mentioned, it keeps me up at night because I'm lying there thinking of lines. I mean, How picture, you can write picture here? books in your head. Um, you have to write it down <laughs> pretty quickly or you forget it. But um, that's one of the things that I like about them. All right, Linda, we have one final question for you, and this is a hard one. You have six words. You can't give a writer just six <laughs> words. <laughs> a very efficient picture book writer. Give a piece of advice to all aspiring writers out there in six words, no more. You can use less. Okay. Let me just say one thing beforehand, Please. which is um, one thing I forgot to say is if you want to write picture books, you need to read picture books that are published today, not old-fashioned picture books, not the books of your childhood. That is very good advice. Um, I think that's really important. So I would say read, observe, perfect, don't give up. Wow, <laughs> that is an experienced wordsmith for you. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> we will end on that high note. Linda, thank you so much for talking with me today. For the Cincinnati Public Library, I'm writer-in-residence Emma Carlson-Byrne. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Writer's Head. Special thanks to the Library Foundation for funding the Writer-in-Residence program. You can meet Emma at various events throughout the year or at open office hours on the third Saturday of every month from 10 a.m. until noon at the Coryville Branch Library. Learn more by visiting cincinnatilibrary.org slash writerinresidence. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss future episodes and leave us a review. It helps other book lovers find us. Thank you for listening.